Your coin. Are you able to go golfing this weekend? Hey, Alexa, yeah. No, I had a pretty good weekend. I honestly didn't do really a whole lot. Just kind of studied for some finals. I have a criminology one on Monday, and then honestly, after that, I'm pretty home free. How about you? Oh, nah. I just chilled in with my cat. Hope this weather gets better soon. I'm ready for Sam, summer. what did you do this weekend? I didn't do much. I hung out with some friends. I did a lot of work and pretty much just studied for finals. How about you? That sounds so boring, but I did the exact same thing. I'm not, you know, the finals week, like, it's just like a lot Kyla, one sec, on. one sec, one sec. Guys, guys, I know we're all people persons, but at the end of the day, we have a whole podcast to record. All right? Are we ready? Are we ready? Yes. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Welcome back to HR from Happy Valley. We are the People Persons Group here to give you the inside scoop about what is happening in the hospitality industry. I'm here joined with Alexi Weimert, Kyla Norton, and Coyne McDermott, and we are all Penn State hospitality management students. So Kyla, you want to kind of give uh, the listeners the two cents on our name? Of course. So we are the People Persons because we are all People Persons. Um, we are in this industry because we want to be a part of the business of the people. We make the people happy. We love being on people. And um, it's part of our personality and our mojo. So to introduce myself a little bit more, my name is Kyla. I'm from Vienna, Virginia, right outside of D.C. I'm a sophomore at Penn State studying hospitality management. And I'm really interested in the restaurant business. I grew up with a family that's been in the industry since as long as I can remember. So I've grown up in restaurants, running, serving, hosting, doing all of it. So I'm really excited for my future in hospitality. Lexi, how are you doing today? Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you, Kyla. So I'm so excited to be here today with you all. And like everyone said, my name's Lexi. I'm from Racetown Lake, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour south of Penn State little bit about myself is that I grew up on a family-owned campground, so that's really where my passion for hospitality and being a people person started. And my future career endeavors are really to become a real estate broker and work in entrepreneurship. So I'm going to pass it over to Coin. Coin, how are you doing today? I'm good, Lexi. Just got out of class. Uh, pretty nice weather. I might watch some playoff hockey tonight, but uh, just introduced myself. I'm Coin McDermott. I'm a senior from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, studying hospitality and supply chain. So I'm a huge Penguins, Steelers, Pirates fan, everything in between. They're all doing pretty well, or the Pirates are doing pretty well actually right now, which is good. So, um, but a lot of my hospitality kind of expertise, knowledge, experience comes from restaurants and traveling and just meeting um, hospitality professionals around the world. So, how are you doing, Sam? Everything good? Yeah, everything's good today. Definitely a busy week, just, you know, as everything winds down and finals are approaching. But all is good. I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is Sam Seidman. I am a sophomore here studying hospitality management, and I'm from Westport, Connecticut. So about an hour, hour 15, right outside of New York City. Um, my experience lies with mainly restaurants. So I've been in restaurants since I think was like 14. I've done that. I've done catering. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Talk to you guys a little bit about my experience in the industry and yeah. So stay tuned as we kind of get into our next segment of the podcast. Welcome back to HR and Happy Valley. This is the People Persons reporting once again. 
I'm Kyla, and this is Here's the Buzz. We're going to be discussing some prominent issues in HR within the hospitality industry. Coin, do you want to tell us a little bit about something that you read that you found that was super interesting? Yeah, thanks, Kyla. Uh, so my article comes from Alan Smith in the Better Workplace, Better World magazine um, from December of ni- December 19th of 2022. And his, the title of the article was that OSHA found that Amazon failed to record and report worker injuries. So um, as someone who's interned at Amazon over the past summer, this is pretty shocking to me. Um, it found, OSHA said it cited Amazon for over 14 separate record-keeping violations in a couple different states, such as Colorado, Florida, Idaho, Illinois, and two in New York. Um, this is pretty shocking to me because when I interned at Amazon, there was a very um, big prevalence on safety. And um, I'd wake up every morning, check my emails and get my coffee. And the first email I read every morning was um, about the different safety incidents that had happened and um, kind of the, the different medical treatments that a worker might have needed or something like that. So um, I was pretty shocked to see this. Um, also, the article went into kind of give some details on retaliation claims, deaths at Amazon facilities, um, and different things that have happened. I can attest to this. Uh, when I worked at Amazon, there were two overdoses on property. It's not really something I ever thought I was going to have to deal with or see or something like that. So um, I can definitely attest that it does happen, and there are safety instances that happen, especially when working around heavy machinery. Um, it's pretty long, monotonous work. So um, it's just definitely it's, – it's definitely – interesting to kind of see that um, a lot of these facilities are kind of covering up some different things. So um, do you guys have any like experience with this? Like, especially like injuries on the job. Has anybody ever been injured on the job and kind of had a manager maybe say like, Oh yeah, you're fine. Get back to work. Yeah. I think it's like a fine line, right? Because obviously there's going to be little injuries that happen and there's stuff that obviously you can kind of just keep going with your job, but there's times where it's actually a big deal. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think of is I've, you know, just been in restaurants where in the back of house, like one of the cooks or whatever came in completely drunk and it wasn't an injury, but it was a safety hazard, you know, and you have to kind of um, take action there and get them out of the kitchen and also cover their missing spot at that point. So not really safety, but I mean, that's still also an issue that you would see. What about you guys? Uh, yes, Sam. So where I was working at, I cut my finger and my manager automatically said, we got to file an incident report. So it was kind of the opposite of what Coin was talking about. So I think it's just depends really on the company and the business. But where I was at at my restaurant, they took it very serious. Even if it was just a little cut or a burn, we had to fill out an incident report. So yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, Lexi, you want to continue? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Quinn. So my article discusses HR issues in small businesses because we all know that there's room for improvement there. Really, as potential employees of small companies, we need to know our worth. And on the flip, so- on the flip side, as entrepreneurs of small businesses, retaining employees from larger companies can definitely be difficult. So some things that stuck out from this article were promotions, employee feedback, and performance development conversations. So really, I have the unique perspective of being both a manager and an employee of a small business. So I can see both sides to the story. But um, promotions just don't have to be monetary. I think if you give younger people some autonomy, it'll go a long way. Promoting people to assistant manager or adding some vertical alignment could really enlighten their purpose in a small business. And also that looks great on a resume. 
And I also think as a small business, feedback is super important too. You get the unique opportunity to interact with people one-on-one every day, and that's super valuable. So definitely look out for that as a manager of a small business. So have any of you guys ever worked for a small business? What are your thoughts on it? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, I spent, I'd say, four years working with a small business back home in a restaurant and where it was, you know, the owner was also the manager, was also the shift leader, was also the closer and also the opener. So um, I think in small businesses, um, how do you say it? Like uh, job requirements, job tasks get kind of blurred between people because they don't have a lot of staff. And at times, just being an employee there, it's hard because it's almost just a mess to deal with. Um, But I think you're right, like giving your staff kind of more responsibility and more vertical alignment and growth actually really helped in that situation. Like I started taking over catering instead of him. And it gave me, I'd say, a little bit more passion kind of for the job and what it was. So I actually enjoyed it much more at that point. Yeah, I can definitely see from the smaller standpoint that you really have the opportunity to grow more. And that's kind of why I brought it up in my trends, because I think that's super important, especially as future industry professionals. I think we want to make our resumes look good and get all the experience we can from different perspectives. Yeah, fully agree. Um, I'll move to my desk now, if you guys are good. Uh, I'm recording from the Here's Something Cool desk. And um, just kind of going through what trends were today, and especially within this industry, and kind of post-pandemic of this virtual workplace, um, I kind of decided on this article that talked about it from Forbes, and it speaks about the viability of it for um, as a meeting space for the future. Um, so the article kind of dived into depth about um, how we fix this workplace energy as we're post-pandemic at this point. Um, keeping people online is really hard to kind of keep that culture in the workplace. And as we shift back to non-remote and in-person jobs, we want to kind of bring that energy back. So this is really important for stuff like um, hotels or corporate and human resource management, that kind of thing. Not as much restaurants, but kind of the other side of the industry where we see offices and corporate offices, stuff like that. Um, so what it says is hold events, um, hold trivias and parties and meetings that kind of want draw people in. It makes them want to come and then we can increase our company culture that way. So just out of curiosity, how do you guys feel about moving back towards an in-person workplace? Yeah, I'm completely in favor of it. I'm not going to speak for everybody in the group, but being people persons, um, there is just like an affinity towards human interaction. Um, It's something that I really miss. It's something you can't really kind of gain over a Zoom screen. There's just certain types of um, just social cues and things you can't really get unless you're interacting with someone in person. So Um, I'm totally in favor of it. I would probably like to do like a hybrid schedule, maybe go into the office like Tuesday through Thursday and work from home Monday to Friday. It's um, I just, I think it's a, it's good for work-life balance. So, but I'm totally in favor of it. I am not one who could really do an all uh, remote job. I don't think. How about you guys? I definitely agree with Coin. I think coming from the perspective that we are people persons, we definitely all want to be in person. And I think that you can't go fully virtual, you know, like, like there's discussion of, remote element and robots in hospitality, but there's something about people in hospitality that is just so important. I can actually kind of go into um, my segment again, um, since I'm reporting from the here's something to think about desk. And here's something to think about. (laughs) What do you value most as an employee? Salary, benefits, flexibility, development. What stands out to you? 
this article got me thinking about what I personally value as an employee and how I can find a company that encompasses my values. Because most people think that material offerings like salary and benefits are people who care about the most, but the article actually suggested that people care most about their over overall satisfaction as an employee, whether that means the flexibility to be remote, as Sam was just discussing, or in terms of development, you know, growing as a person, as a manager, if they see a career, people don't want to be working at an entry-level job and not see any future in it. And I also think that working with managers that have empathy and transparency is really important. And I feel like I would value almost flexibility and development over salary and benefits because I feel like that comes hand in hand. If you're if you feel like you have a career and you see development and you feel flexible and happy at your job, you're more likely to produce better work and therefore get promoted from within. Um, do you guys agree? What do you think that you value most as an employee? Uh, yeah, Kyla. So I completely agree with everything you said. Um, I know people in my life that get paid 50, 60 bucks an hour, make good money, but they're not happy with their life simply because they aren't satisfied with their job. So I think being happy and feeling like you make a difference in your everyday career definitely is the most important thing by far. Yeah, for me, I think it depends on kind of the type of or the the time and the career I'm at. So I think like coming out of college, I think the biggest thing for me is going to be like development and training and things like that, kind of just learning things. So uh, personally, I'm not as like focused on salary or anything, but I think getting older, you definitely want to make sure that you have a competitive salary. Um, when you have a family, you want to make sure you have great like health benefits and things like that. So I think it, at least for me, it just kind of um, will develop as time goes along. Yeah, I would agree. I think that for me, it's like company culture and benefits is not so much salary. So I think I'm in it kind of for, you know, the people. All righty, Rue, just to kind of wrap some things up, I think we had some great discussions about issues in the hospitality industry and how they overlap. We discussed topics like big corporations like Amazon, issues in small businesses, the idea of flexibility with remote work, and what we value as an employee. That brings us to the end of our Here's the Buzz segment. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned as we get into our next section, Hot Topics. Welcome back to HR from Happy Valley. I'm Sam Seidman, joined with Coin McDermott, Lexi Weimer, and Kyla Norton. And once again, we make up the People Persons Group. Uh, today, we are in for a super special treat because we have a special guest all the way from the Netherlands. Danique, you want to give your little introduction? Yes, thank you, Sam. Hi, I'm Danique. I'm from the Netherlands. I'm a 24-year-old student from the Hotel Management School in Maastricht. And I'm very excited to be here today to talk about our subject and maybe look for differences and um, also similarities between our countries. So um, looking forward. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, Danique. For all you guys listening, we are in our hot topic section where we talk about current and pressing issues in the hospitality industry. Um, and to tell you a little bit about our topic of drug abuse and mental health, Coin, take it away. Yeah, thanks, Sam. So we're going to go into a couple different details. We're going to focus on alcohol, mental health, drugs, and kind of reflect on our own personal experiences that we've had working in the hospitality industry, and then kind of pass it over to Danique to see if there's any cross-cultural differences as well. So Starting off with that, I'm going to go off my uh, issue, and it's, it has something to do with uh, how working long hours makes us drink more. 
Um, it was kind of from an outdated article, but I think we can all kind of attest to, uh, you know, working a 12 hour shift. There's, you kind of just want to relax and uh, I don't know, have a beer, have a glass of wine, have a, as it said, a margarita pitcher with your coworkers after a long week. Um, it said that drinking or sorry, working more than 48 hours uh, has a 15 to 20% more higher chance of making us a heavy drinker. So um, it kind of just shows that, I don't know, stress and um, long, hard working conditions really makes us want to drink more. So um, do you guys have any experience with this? I know uh, we're, we're still in school, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but I know after a long, hard day, especially at a restaurant during the summer, I've always like the restaurant that I worked at in Pittsburgh, there's always a couple of beers waiting for us after a shift. Yeah. Can I react to that coin? So in the Netherlands, yeah, it's like really standard, actually. It doesn't matter what time you end, but that you have a closing drink. So um, yeah, after work, a closing drink, it's always uh, always a thing in the Netherlands. Yeah. How is that for you, um, Lexi? Um, so I really don't have any experience in restaurants. Most of my experience is sort of in campgrounds. But yes, I can actually relate to this too, in a way. Like after after my shift, I'll see campers around the campfire with some beers and it's just tempting. And sometimes you just got to do it and sometimes turns into more time. So I definitely think it is a reoccurring factor throughout the hospitality industry. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I mean, I'm 19, so don't really know that piece of it. But I do think that just from working in restaurants, it's like I we call it a shifty here. Um, and at the end of your shift, you get a drink and I've seen it with all my coworkers is that for the last hour that they're working, they're just waiting for the shifty. But I think it's really interesting that in the Netherlands, you guys have that as part of your culture, whereas here it's kind of just a complimentary thing. If that, you know, some places that I've worked have ended up banning it, which I guess I'll get into later on, but, um, that's interesting. That's part of your culture there. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. I, I kind of agree. I mean, um, Sam, I know I, I worked in a restaurant when I was under 21 and I probably shouldn't admit to this, but there was always like alcohol under the table and stuff, especially from, um, your older coworkers, which was always, um, an interesting thing. But, uh, Lexi, do you want to like, tell us about your article, your topic? Yeah. Thanks coin. So for mine, I kind of wanted to stick to like the facts and the statistics that sort of point to hospitality, having these drug issues. So what I found was that one in five hotel and restaurant employees reported the use of hard drugs within the past month. And moreover, 12% of hospitality employees engaged in heavy alcohol abuse in the past month. Both of these are the highest of any United States industry. So that's my topic. Kyla, do you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, of course. Mine was kind of actually relating to the mental health issues within the industry because it's not very talked about. But an article that I found talked about how eight in 10 chefs reported mental health issues, and that's not something that is ever really discussed. And also that 48% of people in the hospitality industry think that not enough is being done to address mental health and well-being within the industry. And personally, I think that number is actually probably a lot higher than 48%, but it's kind of underreported and not talked about, and your managers are kind of not very sympathetic to some of those issues of maybe scheduling or trying to help each other out because people can be in the, in the industry can kind of be seen as a number, especially at entry-level jobs. There's not a lot of empathy in terms of that. Lexi, have you seen that all with any managers, maybe being not sympathetic to any personal 
things and just being told to get to work. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I've worked in entry level positions and I can definitely tell like, if you even bring up the fact, like email your boss and say, Hey, like I'm struggling with my mental health. They kind of just like blow it off, at least in my experiences. And they don't kind of consider it a legitimate excuse. So yeah, I can definitely see that side of it for sure. Yeah. Just to jump in, I think that especially in restaurants, the work is just so grueling. And I mean, we know what we're signing up for. Um, it's an industry that, you know, it's it's a lot of take from people and not a lot of give back. And I think that's kind of where we have been running into issues, especially with the mental health. Um, from a chef's perspective, it's just work, 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 work. And then when you're working really hard and, you know, sometimes your food is sent back or it's not to what the customer likes. Like it's just, is, it's not a very rewarding job that it's kind of not a surprise that you see some mental health issues there. Um, and Kyle, I'd agree with you. I think that those numbers run very, very low, especially just from being in the industry and talking to people. It seems like a lot of people are going through, you know, some mental health issues. Thank you guys so much. Denise, do you want to tell us a little bit about your side of things from the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I think in the Netherlands, talking about mental health and um, asking for help as well has been kind of a taboo for the past years. But I think in the Netherlands, is um becoming more and more um okay to talk about it so there are more um workshops more courses um regarding uh personal development for example so talking about it and um yeah trying to be the best version of yourself that kind of things is becoming more and more important but still i think um a lot of people especially from older generations they still have the feeling that it's not okay to talk about if you kind of know what I mean if I look at my parents um, for me it's like talking about my mental health it's it's something I do but uh, my parents yeah they didn't have that support during their time as children or young adults so I really noticed the difference between the generations here can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. I was at like a conference, uh, an international conference, and something that I realized with like Dutch, and I've I've been in the Netherlands a couple times. And you guys are very mm-hmm. direct, um, language yeah. very concise. Do you think that has something to do with like maybe the, the change in stigma of like you know what like I'm going to say exactly how I feel um, and kind of like tell like do you think that has anything to do with it? I think so, but I also think that um, because of the directness here in the Netherlands, that people are scared to talk about it because they're really scared about how someone is going to react to that. And because everyone is so direct, maybe they they think like if if they don't like it, they will say it immediately. If you kind of understand what I mean. So I think it it, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about it like that, but I I completely agree that 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 makes total sense. Yeah. So I found an article... um, also about the hospitality industry, I think it kind of um, links to Lexier article. It was about alcoholism and drug addiction um, and that it affects all working individuals, regardless of which industry they are in. But how? Uh, but employees in the hospitality industry have higher rates of substance abuse than employees in nearly every other profession. And uh, there was a study in 2008 conducted by the George Washington University Medical Center that states that 50% of all employees in the hospitality industry suffer from serious alcohol abuse. So I think, um, yeah, just looking at hospitality industry with different sectors as well, 
um, you think hospitality industry is just, it's not that hard. There are sectors that are way harder than the hospitality industry, but still it, yeah, 15% of all employees, that's, that's quite a lot, I think. I definitely agree. And I think that, yes, there are jobs that are maybe harder, but I think there's something about the hospitality industry that kind of has that emotional labor while you're dealing with customers that are complaining about certain things. And I think to kind of talk about alcohol in that sense, I think there's a lot of other drugs that might be seen in the hospitality industry, but alcohol is so normalized because in restaurants, it's everywhere. And it's very common to have after shift drinks. And I think that kind of alcohol is the most, I would say, socially acceptable, quote unquote, drug. Would you agree, Danique, in the Netherlands, it's the most socially acceptable? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I also think it's more dangerous than some types of drugs because indeed it's so easy to get and you can do it almost everywhere. So uh, yeah, I totally agree, Kyla. Of course. Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about your article and then we can kind of move to a bit of an open discussion? Yeah, I just want to say one thing about Denise real quick is that I think what you said is that the hospitality industry is not such a hard industry compared to others. I think you're right in the sense of like a barrier to entry that really anybody can sign up and go be a waiter or waitress. But I think that the work itself is so grueling and um, like physically demanding when you compare it to something else. Like, yes, to kind of go through college or maybe grad school and be a lawyer is super, super difficult. But at the end of the day, you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, you know, and writing contracts or marking up contracts. If you're doing an eight hour shift as a restaurant employee, you're, you know, carrying trays, you're greeting customers. And it just, from a physical standpoint, I just think it's very demanding, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, that's also how I look at it. But I think that a lot, a lot of different people who haven't worked in the hospitality industry think that it's not that hard. Yeah, because no, there are sure. there are construction workers, for example, there are mining people. And I think um, a lot of other people think like, yeah, they have it way harder. But indeed, like um, the hospitality industry is very demanding. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I think your point actually kind of segues right into mine in that I read this article about why people use drugs or alcohol when working or right after work. And it's it comes down to trying to elevate their um, their capabilities like you know, like we just talked about, because it's such a grueling industry, people kind of get tired and shut down. And when you think about, you know, a full-time career in this industry where you're working 8, 10, 12 hours every single day, a lot of times people are turning to alcohol or drugs, often cocaine, um, to kind of elevate their energy, to bring it up to a certain point to try and do their job even better. Um, and I think it just kind of, again, goes hand in hand with what you're saying is that, you know, construction workers, that's it's a very hard job mining. That's a very hard job. But at the end of the day, you know, you can be by yourself and mining, or you can be with a little team and building a house, whatever it is, you have to, you know, quote unquote, put on a show for each and every customer that walks into your restaurant or hotel and be, you know, 110% energy and willing to accommodate anything. So I think that in just in regards of what you have to actually deliver, it is so hard. And um, that's kind of why people turn to drugs and alcohol to try and elevate that. So have any of you guys seen any kind of drug abuse um, just to kind of elevate somebody's own job, like to try and do it better? Yeah, Sam, I can speak to that. So um, I had a manager before and she kind of had like some bad anxiety going on. 
But when she would go on her lunch break, I think she would go like smoke some weed and then she would come back so much more like relaxed and her customer service skills were just like a lot more like um, better, I guess to say, like she was a lot more calm and she could just handle people a lot better. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, It's weird how sometimes people turn to a drug and it actually weirdly does improve their job performance and sometimes it completely ruins it. But I think that we're kind of at a good point to move on to solutions. So, Coin, have you kind of thought of any solutions for this drug abuse or mental health issue in the hospitality world? Yeah. So the main thing for me was, or at least what it said in the article, is like having alternative things to do after work. Like um, there's there's other satisfying ways to, I don't know, connect with coworkers, kind of relieve stress than just have like a, a beer or a pint like at the at the bar afterwards. So for me, it kind of like I was I was thinking of ways to do that. Um, the one that mentioned in the article was like go to the gym or something. Um, I think like especially at school, maybe like go to the IM building, play IM sports with people, like things like that. Um, I know for me, like I'm a big golfer, so I always like to go on the golf course, kind of clear my head, stuff like that. Do you guys like have any ways like that? I know like maybe go for a bike ride or something like that. There's there's a million other different ways, but um, Danique, just to give you a little uh, background about our school, we're kind of go to school in the middle of nowhere, like we kind of surrounded by cow fields and stuff like that. So there's not a whole lot to do besides drink and uh, watch football. But do you guys have any other uh, like kind of examples of what you do outside of the classroom or outside of workplace? Um, to be honest, um, a lot of people of my school, of my class, we always go to a terrace after school. So I don't know why. I think it's just um, for a lot of people, just a place to just um, reconnect with each other and just talk about the day. But I think uh, a very good solution would be to change that with something else indeed. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we, we live in Cowfield. So um, maybe going for a bike ride would be a perfect solution or something you can do together as well. Maybe some sports. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just the biggest thing. It's just finding alternative ways to have fun. Um, I think that's the biggest way to kind of reduce and curb drink. I know like if I'm on a, a little bit of a bender, sometimes I just want to get outside and uh, hang out with some people. But Lexi, you want to tell us a little bit some of your solutions? Yeah, thanks, Quinn. So my solution was to have group meetings. Welcome to all employees, whether they're suffering from substance abuse or not. It would be an outlet for them to really talk about their experiences, their mental health and their drug issues. I think that when you bottle up your problems, it sort of makes whatever difficulties you're dealing with even worse. So really creating that comfortable environment in the workplace where employees can just talk. And I really think that that starts with employees being confident enough to bring up their issues in the first place to their bosses and stuff like that. So Kyla, do you want to tell us about your um, solution? Yeah, my ideas actually kind of go directly off of that. I think how you talk about employees having confidence to bring up their issues to their managers and um, bosses. I think that you also have to have the right managers and people managing that you feel comfortable going to. So my idea was to kind of have a mental health professional or like a specified manager that everyone kind of knows that they can go to and feel comfortable about and that they're not going to get a slap on the wrist and told that they can be, that they'll be okay. A manager that could actually talk with them and talk things through and find a real solution. I think that's hard to come by. And I think if that was specified right from the training ongoing onboarding process, that would kind of like prevent burnout um, from employees' mental health. 
Danique, did you have a solution that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, actually, um, my solution kind of likes, uh, kind of looks like yours. Um, I was thinking about a mental health solution as well, and maybe, um, yeah, an alcohol abuse solution together, because uh, we were talking about indeed managers, and uh, I also said that in the Netherlands people were kind of scared to talk about their mental health, but I think it's a good idea to really train the managers indeed. So. Um, yeah, we can have meetings to for for employees to talk about uh, their their feelings or their problems and get used to that. But I also think it's really important that uh, the management team should get trained to yeah maybe detect uh, emotional distress by employees. Um, so because yeah they work with the general public on daily basis. So um, maybe they already have touched top notch interpersonal skills, but. Uh, many won't recognize, recognize signs of mental health problems or um, yeah, substance abuse disorders in their fellow workers. So maybe if that um, can be handled, then you will get um, more out of it. I also think that that would definitely prevent turnover. You know, if managers were able to see when their employees were really at an emotional block, I think it would prevent a lot of people from leaving the industry, not being so burnt out. Yeah, exactly. Sam, do you want to share about your solution? Yeah, I think that um mine kind of is very similar to a lot of your guys's is that just it's kind of based off of awareness. Um, but my solution is it's honestly it's super stripped back. It's almost very childish, and it's just doing temp checks with your employees. Um, one of the things that I've done with um at, at past jobs and past restaurants is we do like family meals and family meetings before we open. And we kind of just go through, you know, the specials and what needs to get done, what could be done better, what was done well. And I think one thing that we've added to this, which is really good, is doing temp checks. Like, how is everybody feeling? Um, and it just, you know, let's say you're having a bad day. Well, first of all, it, it brings your staff very close. Um, you guys start to kind of develop a deeper relationship where you're more comfortable with each other. And let's say that somebody's having a bad day and they kind of, you know, put their thumbs down, you know, you know, as you know, as a friend and as a, as a peer to just kind of help them out a little bit. Um, it's also something that I've done with, uh, I work at a sleepaway camp and I work with kids every single day. Um, and I manage a group of like 24 kids every summer. And we do this every morning and every afternoon with the kids, because when we can kind of get into their heads and see where they're at, it helps us to kind of either give them more or pull back a little bit. And I, I've just seen it kind of work at really well in different settings that I think that just kind of seeing where your employees are at would be a really good solution and a very simple one. It's no cost. It just takes an extra, you know, six and a half seconds, if anything. So I don't know if you guys have had any like kind of childish experience like that, you know, just doing a solution like that. But in my experience, it seems to actually work very well. I found that when managers kind of implement that at like the beginning of like a shift meeting, like when I was a server, like kind of getting all the staff together and kind of having like a more casual, like, how's everyone doing today? It kind of also sets up the expectation, you know, if your manager knows that you're not like having the best day to not maybe like press you to like work you super hard and kind of give them a break. So I definitely think that's a good idea. And I think it's a good way to start off the shift with like on the right note. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think they call it a family meal for a reason. Like it really does. There, There's something about like eating with people, even though like you work with them that like, brings you closer together I don't know what it is like there's some intrinsic thing to it but yeah I agree and then like I, I know at least at the restaurant that I worked at would always I don't know taste like a new bottle of wine or a new scotch that kind of came in and kind of talk about it we even had a, a program going where like 
someone would bring a bottle of wine home and then come back a week later and tell us all about it. So I think just those, those like little things that can really kind of like build a community around a restaurant. So yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like we're all talking about just adding more like personable things to this job, right? Like it, it is a industry of dealing with people, but the workers often are treated like robots and just like work, 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 work. And when we add in kind of a more personalized element, it feels like it might actually solve a lot of issues. Um, Tyler, you talked about having like almost like a mental health professional on staff. Um, in terms of cost, like where do you see that fitting in? Just because like those people are expensive, they're well-trained. By the way, there's also like free mental health courses online that people can take to kind of get more familiar with it. Is that something that you'd want to implement? Because they, I mean, they exist, they're just, you know, they kind of fly under the radar. Yeah, like you said, they fly under the radar. So I feel like if they were more like aware and even if you know you weren't paying for a personal mental health professional within the restaurant or whatever I think if you managers at least were giving those resources out and saying here's where you can get help here's where you can do this free of cost or also like free of cost if you just had a manager that like was already hired and people knew that they could go to like just it's almost like good cop bad cop you know the manager that's like scary and is gonna you know gets you on the right track and then the manager you feel comfortable going to I think if you kind of have that balance it kind of creates a more stable healthy work environment and I know we've talked a lot about the mental health issues do you guys think that if those mental health issues are kind of addressed then there'll be less drug and alcohol issues or do you think that just because of the way that the industry is that there will always be issues since there's so much alcohol and whatnot in the industry I definitely think that having difficulties with your mental health is a gateway into substance abuse. Not always, but I think it could definitely help alleviate the issue. So not for everybody, but definitely for some people it would. Danique, what were you going to say? Yeah, I just want to add to that. I really think as well that uh, the mental health and the alcohol abuse is linked to each other. So I think if you have less problems with your mental health and maybe you also have less problems with alcohol abuse. So I really think that's a, a word, uh, word of shot. Danique, I'm kind of curious about the cross-cultural differences in terms of the laws of alcohol and drugs um, compared to the U.S. I know that the drinking age in the U.S. is 21 and drugs like marijuana are not are legalized differently by state. What are those laws like in the Netherlands, and how do you think that they impact the hospitality industry? So, um, in the Netherlands, the legal age to consume alcohol is 18, but nine years ago it was 16. So nine years ago, um, yeah, it it uh, the the border increased to 18, and um, I actually looked some statistic up, um, and I found that. Um, let me think. So from um people under the 18 uh when they weren't allowed to buy alcohol anymore so the number of uh, binge drinkers was actually higher but the number of young people drinking was lower so i think um so in the end uh less young people um were drinking now um but um in, in exchange for that uh, more people are binge drinking. So I also think that's because they haven't drank alcohol before. So when they do it, they drink way too much. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. I can't imagine the legal drinking age being 16. That just seems so alarming because like our brains aren't fully developed until 25 and, you know, 21 is still like four years off from that. So I can't imagine 16 to 18 to 21 as a big age gap. Yeah. So the, the legal age of consuming alcohol in the United States is 21. Do you see a lot of people younger than 21 drinking already at like young ages? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially in, in college, it kind of starts at 18 for sure. And then, um, but I think you like what you said, like the people that don't really drink in high school, they kind of go off the rails a little bit in college, a little bit more, um, they don't really know their limits or anything. So I think that just kind of speaks to the attitude that we have towards alcohol versus other countries. To kind of touch on some other drugs besides alcohol, what do you, what do you see as most prevalent in the Netherlands? I'm curious because I feel like in my personal experience in restaurants, I would say marijuana and cocaine in the industry are definitely the most kind of common. You know, marijuana, as Lexi was talking about, you know, manager would go be more relaxed, more accommodating, and then cocaine to kind of, you know, be the upper to get through those long shifts. What would you say are the most prevalent in the industry for you? So I think in the Netherlands, um, since it's legal to smoke marijuana here, um, I think a lot of people don't do it during the job. Uh, because you, yeah, sometimes you get the more laid back, more chill of smoking it. And I think a lot of people don't want to have that kind of feeling at work, in my opinion. Um, but I do see a lot of coke in this industry, especially because you get like more energy from it. And um, that's something I think you want at work and not having like the really chill feeling. Um, most people do it after work, I think, in the Netherlands. Yeah, I can relate to that. I feel like all my coworkers in restaurants would always go off and like smoke together after work. And it's not as talked about because it's alcohol is more like socially acceptable and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that the um the cross culture differences is really cool when we start to dive deep into it and talk about it. Um just to kind of wrap up, do we want to do like little five words each of what we kind of think about the industry and where drug abuse and mental health is all right Denise, do you want to start it off um i have four words for you i have set your own limits Kyla? my five words are hospitality workers are people too lexi my four words are let's talk about it in coin uh find something else to do nice all right my five words are i think it's five um remember that it's a job yeah five um anyways uh thank you guys listeners for tuning in danique thank you so much for um all your time all your effort from the netherlands it's been awesome talking to you getting to see that cross culture um kyla lexi coin best group here um and all your listeners out there thank you guys for tuning in um stay tuned for more to come from hr from happy valley see you guys later Mm -hmm.